Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. I got a question for you guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably date myself a little bit in this question, but it's okay because this past week I did turn 40. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but uh, it happened 40 years old. You don't have to, don't, don't applaud for that. That's nothing to clap about. So it's just a number and I'm grateful for another year of life. But anyway, I, so you'll know how old I am when I ask this question, but please play along by show of hands. How many of you remember or maybe grew up watching the cartoon Looney Tunes? Let me see a show of hands. It's like Bugs Bunny. Daffy Duck, you know, the Roadrunner, like the classic awesome cartoons. They don't make them like that anymore, and I wish they did, because those were like the best cartoons. But So you should know this, then, if you've seen, had a healthy dose of Looney Tunes, then this will make sense. Do you remember, and it happened in so many different episodes, where one character would be running away from another character, and they're just running, running, running as fast as they can, putting out all kinds of energy to put distance between them and the character that's chasing them, and you know, like they pass the same tree a dozen times, or the same lamp in the house a dozen times, but then they end up in a dark room, or they jump into the, you know, some stump of a tree, and it's totally dark, and you see one set of eyeballs, and then what happens? There's a second set of eyeballs, right? And it's the very person or thing they were trying to run away from. And so then like the light pops on and ah, they freak out and they run again and pass the same tree another 12 times. And, and that keeps happening. That no matter how hard and how fast they run, they can never get away from the one that's pursuing them. Well, we're going to kind of see that theme unfold today as we start a brand new series in the book of Jonah. And so if you've got your Bibles, um, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Jonah. Jonah is a short small book in the the second half of the old testament it's one of the minor prophets so it's where you kind of have to flip around a bunch of pages till you find this little four chapter book that tells the story about a man named jonah and i'm titling today's sermon you can run but you can't hide because that's what we're going to see happens to jonah he tries to run from the presence of an ever-present god and he's very unsuccessful no matter how hard and fast he runs from god he doesn't do much Uh, good in putting distance between him and an ever-present God. So we're going to go to Jonah, and I'm going to kind of be your tour guide. We're going to spend one week in each chapter. So today we're going to get through the entire chapter one, the first chapter of Jonah, and I'm going to kind of point out some things along the way through this story and ask you to notice some stuff. And I really believe that God has some things he wants to say to his people this morning. So Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to just go through the first three verses, and I want to point some things out as we go. And if you've got your, by the way, if you've got your handouts, the scripture's there in its entirety, or it'll be up on the screens, but I'm going to ask you to underline some things, because I want you to notice what I'm noticing as I go through here. The very first thing I want you to underline in the scripture, whether it's in your Bible or on the handouts, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just underline that phrase, we're going to come back to that. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, Amittai, however you say that, saying, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their what, church? Their evil. How many of you know there's evil in the world? This is an evil city. Their evil has come up before me. Okay, you get the command, go to Nineveh and preach against the evil that's there. But what does it say? What's Jonah's response? But Jonah rose to flee 
to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. First of all, let me just pause on that phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Church, I want to suggest that the word of the Lord has come to each and every one of us in this room today. You might say, well, how has the word of the Lord come to me? I can offer up four ways very quickly. First of all, um, the, the Bible says in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself to us through his creation. And so here's what that means. Like theologians call this general revelation. Like we don't know everything there is to know about God through his creation, but we know enough through God's creation to look up into the starry heavens at night and, and know that I know I read it in the textbook that this all just somehow miraculously by random chance happened outside of a creator and a designer. But deep in our hearts, we know that can't be true. We look around at the created world and and we know there's a God. We know there's something bigger out there that had to create it. So the word of the Lord has come to us through his creation. And and Romans 1 talks about how we try to suppress that truth because our hearts are wicked and we don't want to come face to face with the fact that there's a God who has authority over our life. I would contend the word of the Lord has come to us through Jesus Christ. We just finished a study through the book of John and in the first chapter of John, he writes that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, like Jesus Christ came to reveal God to us. And so we can study the life of Jesus and the word of the Lord has come to us through, the, through Jesus himself. We also have the Bible, like we can open the, the 66 books of the Bible, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, and we can have the clearly revealed will and word of God for our lives today. There's a lot that we can know that God wants from us and things that he's told us don't do these things. Like we know that because the word of the Lord has come to us. It's available to us. But can I suggest a fourth way that the word of the Lord has come to us today, and that's this. We serve a God, the same God who personally spoke into Jonah's life. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, he resides in those who know him and trust him and follow him, and he speaks to my life individually, and he speaks to your life individually. The word of the Lord has come to you today, Rescue Church. Here's the question I want to ask you. What word has God spoken into your life recently? And let me ask a follow-up question. How have you responded to that word from the Lord? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and this is interesting to me. All throughout Scripture, anytime God speaks into his created universe, when he tells nature to do something, whether it's a storm or whether it's an animal, when God speaks to his created universe, it obeys, it responds with obedience, and yet so often when God speaks into the lives of his created beings, human beings, when the word of the Lord comes to us, what do we do? Often we disobey, we rebel, we run. I wonder if I'm speaking to someone in this room today that the word of the Lord has come to you and you're responding just like Jonah. You're, you're running from the presence of God. You're responding with disobedience and rebellion. By the way, can I talk about Jonah's disobedience for a moment? It's easy for us, you know, in this side of history to look back at a story like this and go, oh, pff, Jonah, what a loser. Like God told him to do something and he disobeyed and we can kind of get down on Jonah. But can, can we just appreciate his disobedience for a moment? Here's what I mean by that. Let's understand the gravity of what God was telling Jonah to do. Let me give you a modern day equivalent. Nineveh was this ancient city, and it was known for its wickedness and its violence. And by the way, modern day Nineveh is like the modern city of, of, uh, 
Oh, I have it in my notes. It just slipped my, my brain here. So let me go back to Mosul, Iraq. I, I forgot the Mosul, Iraq. So this is like God saying to us today, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get on an airplane, and I want you to fly to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you to round up the Taliban and ISIS, and I want you to command them in the name of Yahweh, the one true living God, to repent of their sin, to reject the false demonic God of Allah and the false prophet Muhammad and call them away from their wickedness and violence and evil. How many of you are like, ooh, sign me up. Where's the plane at? I'm probably not responding that way either. There's fear, real fear, like, oh my goodness, I could lose my life doing this. I promise that's in Jonah's head. And and we'll also see later on in the series that that Jonah has a racist heart. And we're going to get to that theme in a few weeks where Jonah is okay with God's grace to his group of people because we deserve it, but not those people. So there's some stuff in Jonah's heart that's causing him to want to disobey, and and he runs from the Lord. But I I just want to pause long enough to ask the question, how many of you understand that sometimes God asks us to do hard things? He does. Sometimes he asks us to do things that push us right beyond the edge of our comfort zone, and he doesn't apologize for it. He promises to go with us, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Did you know that God has the right to speak into your life, to change your plans, to to interfere with what you wanted and with what you thought should happen. God has the right to step in and go, actually, no, uh, you're not the one in charge. I am. I'm the king. I'm authority. And and so you can surrender to me. So that's what we see happening here. And and what Jonah is essentially saying to God is this. By, by running from the Lord, Jonah is basically saying, and you and I do it too in our lives, we basically say, God, you can have this part of my life, but you can't have that. I'll do some of what you've told me to do, but I'm not going to do all of what you've told me to do. There's an area or two or four or ten in my life that this is for me, and you don't get to speak into it. And, and that's what we see happening. This tension is building, right? So watch the next verse. It says, he went down to Joppa and found a ship. If you've got your Bible open, underline that phrase, He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now check this out, church. Let me make this understandable in our world. So we're sitting in Flandreau, South Dakota. As I'm standing on this stage, south is right that way. It's like if God were to say to us today, I want you to go to Texas. It's almost directly south of where we're at. I want you to go to Texas, and we go find a ship. In our case, it'd probably have to be a car, right, or a bus, because there's really no water between here and Texas. But it's weird. We would say, nope, we're going to Canada. We're going this way. That's what's happening in this story. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going to Tarshish. And he found, notice the phrase, he found a ship. I want to draw something out of that part of the story, and this might be worth writing down. It's not on the screens, but hear this very clearly, church. If your desire is to run away from the presence of God, there will always be a ship waiting to take you. If your desire is to disobey God, don't be surprised when a ship just miraculously appears in your life. It's the right people, the right circumstance, the right opportunity to take you exactly in the wrong direction from where God called you to go. But what we need to understand is often it's not God that's provided that ship. It is the enemy's shipwreck waiting to destroy our lives. 
I've grown up in church my entire life. I've been in and around pastoral ministry my entire life, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christ followers disguise disobedience and rebellion against God in spiritual terms and give God credit for it. I know I'm supposed to be in a covenant marriage with my wife, but see, here's the thing. My secretary really understands me, and she's here, and she gets me. She's my soulmate, and God wants me to be happy. The ship is here. And God's saying, just because it's available doesn't mean I put it in your life. You, you want to run from my direction for your life? There's always going to be someone waiting there to take you. You can couch it in any kind of spiritual terms you want. I love this one when I hear people say, I believe God has spoken to me and he's calling me to disconnect from my family of accountability, my spiritual family. It's just me and him for a while. We don't need the church. God didn't tell you that. And if you want to run away from the presence of the Lord and from a messy spiritual family that brings accountability into your life, I promise there will be every opportunity and avenue waiting for you. But it's not necessarily God's ship. It could very well be the shipwreck the enemy is put right in your path. And that ship will sail exactly to the point of the shipwreck. That's where Jonah's heading as he gets on this boat to flee from the presence of the ever-present God. Watch what happens next verse. Verse 4, it says, But the Lord hurled. Notice the word hurled. Like, that's just an aggressive word. The Lord hurled. A great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the sailors on the boat, they were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Underline that phrase, if you would, that each cried out to his God. Notice it's a small g, God. They don't know the one true living God. They're calling out to their false gods that we're going to find out they don't really know that much about anyway. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, like... You know it's a fight for survival now. They're throwing their very source of income into the water, right? They're sailors, they deliver goods, and now it is a fight for their life. So it's a big deal. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. And underline the word perhaps. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Again, are you getting the picture? These guys don't really know who God is. And they don't know who Jonah's God is. They're just saying, just call out, maybe, maybe there's a God out there who will, who will save us in the middle of this storm. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. This is like kind of like drawing straws, essentially, and Jonah draws the short straw, so now they turn to him. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Now watch Jonah's response. This is almost laughable. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. Well, that's kind of debatable, right, Jonah? Like, you fear the Lord, and you're on a ship trying to run away from the very thing he told you to do. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Let's pause the story for just a moment, and I want to point out something. When people go through a crisis, when the storms of life hit us, and they always do, like it's, it's inevitable, right? Like We will go through storms in our life. 
I, I've noticed two responses. First of all, we, we lean into the, the gods that we serve. And, and we do, we allow different idols to come into our life. Even as Christians, we know we're supposed to serve the one true living God, and yet so often we lean into other idols. Money becomes our security, comfort. Many of us in modern-day America, we worship at the altar of comfort as long as it's comfortable, Right There's a lot of things we lean into. Maybe it's our power, our prestige. It might be relationships, addiction. You know, addictions can really flare up in seasons of storms. And we call on the names of those small g gods to deliver us. And then here's another response. When those idols in our life prove to be unable to save us from the storm, then often people, their minds will turn to spiritual matters. We get kind of spiritual in the midst of the storms, don't we? Not everybody, but many people, when the storms of life come, it's like, oh yeah, wait a minute, maybe there's more going on here than just me. Maybe there really is a God, and maybe I actually need him. Can I just tell you, as an observer of society and as one who kind of studies people, I, I might be wrong on this, this isn't the word of the Lord, this is just John's opinion, so put it in that category, but... In my opinion, I would suggest that as Americans, speaking just as a whole in our nation, we are a very comfortable people right now. We are. I know we're divided as a nation. I know there's a lot of hostility and anger and hatred on Facebook. But when you really stop and think about it, when we stop yelling at the other side of whatever issue we're on, and you really look at our lives, we're, we're pretty comfortable right now. Things are going pretty well. You want to know how I know that? One of the gauges that, as I kind of have a finger on the pulse of society, it's because as a whole, epidemically across our nation, my observation is that we're in a season right now, and I'm not talking about unsaved people, I'm talking about the church, where Christians have come to the conclusion that the house of God, the things of God, a commitment to the people of God is really at a pretty low level. We don't really need him that much right now. We're not leaning into the one true God. We're leaning into the false idols that we serve. And let me just take it beyond the big picture of out there, and let me bring that right down to the rescue church, this body that I get the privilege to lead. I have sensed it. I see it, where it's like, you know, the things of God, a commitment to the house of God and to the body of Christ, the family of God, eh, it's, I, I like my church and everything, but you know what? If something else more important comes up, that's really got my attention right now. And unless you think like, oh my goodness, he's singling me out. He's talking to me. No, I'm not. I'm talking to you and about 59% of the rest of this body. Remember back with me 17 years ago, post-September 11th, 2001, when our nation had been rocked. You want to know what happened to church attendance right after that in the immediate aftermath? through the roof. I was still living in Illinois at the time and on staff at my church there, and uh, we had like a prayer meeting in the middle of the week, and it was like standing room only on a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Took about three months for that to wear off, and us just to go back to our place of going. Church, why do, why do we wait until the storms of life are rocking our boat before we put God back in the place that he's deserved all along? Because it's not until the storms that we turn to spiritual matters so often. I don't know why we do that, but we do. And I think we're in a place right now in a nation that until God rocks us again, we're going to continue to just be lulled to sleep in our comfort, serving the lower G gods that we allow into our life. 
But Jonah doesn't find himself in that situation. The boat is rocking right now, all right? And God is coming knocking, okay? And it says in verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. That's a big word, but it means it got rowdy, okay? And he said to them, this is an interesting response. He says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. That'd be a great line to underline. Jonah is saying, it's my fault, guys. If you throw me into the ocean, throw me overboard, this storm will calm down because I'm the reason that you all are in this storm right now. Here's why I want to park on this just long enough to make the point. Hey, church, we need to understand that my sin affects way more people than just me. And see, it's a lie of our time where we want to say to people, hey, mind's your own business, man. Don't judge me. What I do behind closed doors, what I look at on my computer, the, the addictions that I'm feeding that you can't see, it's none of your business. Don't judge me. And the truth is, your sin, whether it's out in public or whether it's behind closed doors in private, your sin is like a rock thrown into a nice, calm, peaceful pond. And that sin has rippling effects that go out. And it affects other people. Don't fool yourself. Jonah at least understood this. Guys, the reason you're in the middle of this storm, the reason you are in a fight for your life right now, it's my fault. Because I'm disobeying. I'm running from God. Now, this is interesting. These are pagans, these uh, sailors who don't know God, but there's at least some good in their heart. They're going to at least for a moment, they're going to try to save Jonah's life. Watch this. It says, Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So do you understand what's happening? Even after Jonah said, I serve the one true living God, and he's kind of got a problem with me right now, and that's why this storm is here. Throw me overboard. Even then, the guys are like, No, we're going to row on. We're going to push through this. We're going to make it through the storm. So they tried in their own strength, and they didn't succeed. It says, therefore, they called out to the Lord. Now look at its capital L. Who are they talking to now? They're no longer praying to their lower G gods. They're talking to Yahweh, the one true living God, creator of the universe. They called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. If you want to underline that last sentence, uh, theologians, commentators would tell you that this is probably the point of conversion for these sailors. Like, this is them. We would say it today, like, this is the moment they trusted Jesus Christ for, for salvation. Because surrender has come. And they've called on the name of the Lord, and they, they made a sacrifice, most likely probably a blood sacrifice, which all points forward to the coming Messiah. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And they make vows to the Lord. They're committing themselves to the Lord. So like a revival service has taken place on this boat that's rocking in the middle of the sea because it came at a point of surrender. And that's kind of the next thing I want to draw out of this is I want you to notice that the storm raged on until those that were in the storm surrendered to the Lord. See, we have often wrongly believed. We have this very flawed view of God and we have wrongly believed, many of you have, have bought into this, that Easy things come from God, and only hard things come from the enemy. 
So if life is easy, if it's comfortable, that's what God wants from our life. And if it's bad and, and, and things are hard, we give that credit immediately to the devil. It's not always the case. Question, church, let's see if we're paying attention to the story. Who caused this storm in Jonah's life? Who caused it? Well, Jonah, but who is the one who commands the winds and the waves and can make a storm happen? God caused the storm. Remember that part where he hurled the wind? Like, this is a God-sent storm. See, we, we don't like the thought of that, that God actually causes some of the storms in our life. And I want to be very careful with this, because on one hand, it's true that, yes, God does and will and can cause certain storms to happen in our life. I also want to be very clear to say that not every storm that comes into our life is sent by God. And while God may not cause every storm in our life, the truth is God is above every storm in our life. And he allows it. Last week, Chase talked about the Romans 8.28, if you want to jot that down. And, and that verse, if you look it up, says that we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives. Sometimes he directly causes them. Sometimes he just lets us go through it. And the promise is he is working above it all for our own good. But check it out. What is he looking for in the middle of the storm? He's looking for surrender. Sometimes the storm does not cease until the surrender comes. I wonder... Am I speaking to anyone in the rescue church today that is going through a season of a storm in your life, a trial? And I'm not saying God caused it or he didn't cause it. I don't have that knowledge to speak into that. But what I do know is this, God is above the storm you're going through in your life. And I can also extend a little bit of a, of a tool, a diagnostic tool for you to, to know, am I surrendered in this storm or am I like those sailors? Am I rowing against it? Have you ever rowed hard against the storms in your life? I have. I can even look back in my own recent history and just recent months and go, yeah, I can see where instead of surrendering to circumstances that were happening, I was fighting hard against it. I was pushing against the wind and the waves of some storms in my life. And yet here, here's, here's a little diagnostic tool to know the difference. So here's a quiz. You ready? What is the question that we all seem to ask when we find ourselves going through the storm, it's a three-letter word. What is the question we ask God in the middle of our storm? What is it? Why? Why? Am I, I good? I'm not the only one who does that. Then, right? You too. I, that's where. That's my go-to. That's my default setting when the storm starts rocking my ship. I'm like, God, why are you letting this happen in my life? Why are you causing this or allowing this? Like, what purpose could there be in me in the middle of the storm? That's just an indicator. It's a very natural question, and yours truly asks it often, right? So I'm not knocking you, but I'm just saying, can we, can we understand the theology behind that question is basically this. Our mindset is God is in a position where he owes me an explanation, and I'm demanding it of him. God, tell me why. That's kind of bad theology when you reverse engineer it like that, right? It's a natural question. It's a natural human emotion. Let me give you some better questions that I think when we begin to ask these kinds of questions, it's an indicator that maybe we're turning the corner and we're surrendering in the middle of the storm. Here's, here's one, and you can write these down if you want. They're not on the screen, but how about this? How about God what? What lesson are you trying to teach me in the middle of this storm? What, what do you want me to learn about you or about myself what are you trying to teach me? 
You see the difference, the surrender that comes from what versus the, the demands of why? Why is this happening? What, what are you wanting me to learn? God, what do you want me to do right now? Tell me, show me. Send the word of the Lord to me and I will obey. What do you want me to do? Here's one, how about this? The question, who? God, who do you want me to become as a result of this storm? Did you know that sometimes God isn't even looking for so much of as, as big of a change externally as he's trying to change internally? Like we're all focused on what God wants us to do and sometimes he's focused on what who we're becoming like i want to talk about your being you're all about the doing i get that i'm a i'm a do do doer and sometimes l lately i think god has been saying to me john let's focus on who you're becoming god who who do you want me to become here's another great who question in the middle of the storm god who do you want me to minister to as a result of this storm in my life did you know that sometimes often we are in a position to minister to other hurting people because of the pain and the trials we've been through, that God uses that to minister to someone else. So like, God, who are you preparing me to, to minister to as a result of this? Or here's a question, like, where, God, where do you want me to go? So see, it's sometimes in the middle of the storm, it's not until the surrender comes that the storm finally ceases. When we stop demanding to know why, and we start saying, God, get my life in line with what you're trying to teach me, with who you're trying to lead me to, with who you're trying to develop me into, and with where you're, you're leading me to go. The surrender, the storm stops when the surrender comes. All right, last verse in Jonah chapter 1. And it, okay, so they throw him overboard, right? He's in the middle of the ocean now, having run from the presence of God, and it says this, and the Lord appointed... Notice this, the, the very all-present God he tried running from is present right in the middle of the storm. And it just so happens he's got one of his big fish in the area. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Interesting, he's running from God, he's in total disobedience. This, this may not look like grace, but church, I want you to recognize this is God's grace in Jonah's life right here. He could have died in that storm. Sin is when we run from God. Jonah has a heart of sin. Yes, he finally surrendered, but his sin, he deserves to drown right then and there in the middle of a stormy sea like that. We could all agree, yep, he deserves it. He stepped out of line with God's will. And yet here's grace. Sin is when we run from God. Grace is when God pursues sinful people. And God never stopped pursuing Jonah because even in the ocean, God's got his fish in place. And, and we'll talk more next week about the details of the fish because some people, this is a very highly debated book in the Bible because some people go, that's just a children's bedtime story. That could not have really happened. So I would just say for today, we'll suffice it to say this. Don't get too hung up on the fish. The fish is basically God's Uber to pick up Jonah and take him where he needs to be, okay? So we'll, we'll drill down into that more next week. But today, let me bring all this together. We're going to let Jonah kind of simmer this week in the belly of the fish and we'll pick up the story next week with him in the belly of this great fish okay but can it, did this really happen seriously john i mean i'm a pretty smart person i've been to college i have a few degrees like do you really want me to believe that this story historically happened and took place and jonah ended up in the belly of a fish and didn't die in the process you really want me to believe it well for today can we just 
ask someone who has a little more authority than us, let's turn to the word of the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, Jesus, did this story really take place? Is Jonah a real thing? And to do that, I just want to flip to one more passage of Scripture in the New Testament. It's Matthew chapter 12. And then I'm about to show you a deeper level of this story that I love, okay? I love Old Testament stories that point to the real hero of the Bible anyway. So watch this. Matthew 12, verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet who? Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. That gives us a hint in where the story is going with Jonah. The people of Nineveh actually repented. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Some of you look confused, so let me just connect a few dots here. First of all, don't miss this point. According to Jesus, Jonah's a real story. It actually took place. So Jesus reaches back to put his stamp of approval and validation on the Old Testament story of Jonah. But let me point you to an even deeper point in this story, and that's this. See, church, listen, the Bible is not a bunch of different stories. The Bible is one story. And the Bible does not have a bunch of different heroes. The Bible has one hero. And everything in the Old Testament, including the book of Jonah, Jonah, is all pointing forward to the coming Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you'll notice on your handouts, I want to show you that Jesus is greater than Jonah. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Like, yes, Jonah's a real story, but guys, don't miss the deeper point. And, and I'm going to go through these so quickly, I'm not even going to stop to explain any of them. I'm just going to roll through these. The, the list is on your notes, okay? So follow along with me. Let me show you how Jesus Christ is the greater Jonah, all right? A word of God came to Jonah, but Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah ran from the presence of God, but Jesus came to bring the Lord's presence. Jonah was a sinner who ran from God. Jesus is the God who runs after sinners. Jonah came as a Hebrew sinner. Jesus came as a Hebrew savior. Jonah slept in a stormy boat because he was overwhelmed, but Jesus slept in a stormy boat because he was at peace. Did anyone else catch that detail of Jonah being asleep in the bottom of a boat and New Testament, we would see a story where Jesus is in the, asleep in the bottom of a boat when the storm rages. I love God's word. Like it's, I love when those stories get connected. Jonah could not command a storm to calm, but Jesus commanded a storm to calm. Jonah was thrown into the sea to appease the wrath of God. Jesus was thrown into the ground to appease the wrath of God. The pagans sought to save Jonah's life, but the pagans sought to end Jesus's life. Because of Jonah, some were saved from one nation. Because of Jesus, multitudes are saved from every nation. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. Jonah was thrown into the storm of God's wrath for one time. Jesus was thrown into the storm of God's wrath for all time. Jesus, Jonah rather, needed a savior. Jesus is Jonah's savior. Can you see how this is so connected to the New Testament and to the story of Jesus. 
man, I love the word of God, and Jesus is the greater Jonah. And here's what I want to do today to summarize this first installment in the Jonah series. I believe as I started with, I said, the word of the Lord has come to us today. And I believe in summary of Jonah chapter 1, here is the word of the Lord for you and for me today. It's the word surrender. The word of the Lord for my life and for your life today is surrender. And I want to contend there's three areas that God is looking for surrender in our life based on this first chapter in Jonah. The first one, if you want to write this down, Jesus is looking for my surrender in repentance from my sin and trusting him as my Lord and Savior. We saw that little detail in the boat where the sailors really do surrender to Yahweh, to the one true living God. And I want to say, if I'm speaking to anyone in the rescue church this morning that has never surrendered your heart and life in repentance to the Lord Jesus and asked him to be your savior from sin. Like that's the surrender he's looking for today. I believe that Jesus is also looking for my surrender in the storms of my life. We talked about that a little bit today. If you're going through a season where the, your boat, your ship is rocking right now, whether it's a God-caused storm or simply a God-allowed storm in your life, it, either way, he's looking for the same thing. He's looking for surrender. For you to bow your knee to his authority and say, God, what do you want from my life as a result of this? Where are you leading me? Who are you wanting me to become? I surrender. You're in charge. I'm not. I'm going to stop fighting against this, and I'm going to start surrendering to what you want me to do and how you want me to respond. And finally, Jesus is looking for surrender in my plans and my dreams for my future. Has God ever messed up your plans? My whole life is a story of God messing up my plans, right? Like, I, I, I thought it would look like this, and then he steps in and goes, well, not actually, we're going to go this route. And his plans are always better. Like, his, his story is always so much better than the story I would have written if it was just me in charge. But so often I kind of forget that he's in charge, and I stop submitting and surrendering to him, and I start writing the script for my life again. And then he steps in and says, actually, that's not how that story's going to go. We're going to go this route. And whatever it is that God is saying to you, I'm telling you the word of the Lord for your life and for my life today is surrender. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. And whatever area of your heart God's calling for surrender, let me challenge you to surrender your life to him today. God in heaven, I thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you for the word of the Lord that has come to us, not only through the book of Jonah and through the message today, but Holy Spirit, through what you're speaking into our individual hearts and lives right now. God, I can't see past the outer shell that is in front of me in this church family. I can only see the surface. But there is not a single soul in the sound of my voice today that is hidden from the all-knowing, all-seeing, ever-present God. And Holy Spirit, right now, I just invite you to work in the hearts and the lives of the people in this place, that you would bring about whatever surrender it is you're calling from us. Help us to learn from Jonah's rebellion and disobedience and the foolishness to think that he could actually outrun the all-present, all-seeing, all-knowing God of the universe. Lord, for those in the sound of my voice today that are running from you, just like Jonah, I pray that today would bring about repentance and surrender in our hearts towards you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd give us the strength and the grace and the courage to obey you this week and to follow you this week and to be used of you this week to make a difference in this community and beyond where you've called us to live our stories for this season of our lives. We worship you. We love you. It's in your mighty and precious name we pray these things. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv.